This talk is given by Vanessa Zvise Goddard, a writer and lay Zen teacher based in New York City. This talk, like all of Zvise's talks, is offered freely. If you'd like to make a donation, find out more about Zvise's teachings, or sign up for her newsletter, please visit her website at vanessasvisegoddard.org. Thanks for listening. May the merits of these teachings benefit all beings. May these words help and not harm. May they clarify and not confuse. May they self-liberate, leaving no trace of me. It's very good to see you, as always. Let me begin with a story. In 1409, in Florence, there lived a carpenter by the name of Manetto. And his friends also called him Il Grasso, or the fat one. And Manetto specialized in carving ebony, and he had a shop near one of the big piazzas in, in um, Florence. And he lived uh, and worked very close to Filippo Brunelleschi's house. And Brunelleschi, some of you may know, was um, the engineer and architect behind the Duomo in the famous cathedral in Florence, uh, Santa Maria dei Fiore. And the, the, the uh, dome, if I remember correctly, is the largest one in the world or the widest one in the world. It's, it's massive. And he built this in 1409 and hadn't been done since antiquity. And so he had to uh, come up with the engineering and the equipment and you know, the mathematics and the physics to create this magnificent, massive dome. He was also a sculptor and a painter and apparently from the stories, uh, a rather unusual, somewhat irascible guy. He could really get into tips with other artists. And um, he also had a bit of, of an attitude. And so at one point, uh, Manetto, who was his friend by all accounts, uh, didn't go to one of Brunelleschi's gatherings. And Brunelleschi was very offended by the snob and decided that he was gonna take revenge. So he convinced a group of his friends to help him um, create this scenario, this dream, this fantasy in which Manetto turned into somebody else, another famous Florentine called Matteo. And so one day in the evening, as uh, Manetto was getting ready to close his shop, Brunelleschi ran ahead to his house and he picked the lock, went into Manetto's house, locked it behind him, barred it, and then just waited. So Manetto gets to his house, tries to open the door, and he can't. And so he rattles the door, and then from inside comes his own voice telling him to go away. Whoever you are, just go away. Because apparently, this was another one of Brunelleschi's gifts. He was very good at impersonations. And so Manetto was so convinced that it was himself talking to him, telling him to go away, that he was completely puzzled and he very meekly walked away to the, to the piazza nearby. There he runs into one of his friends who immediately greets him as Matteo. And Manetto's like, no, 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 
it's me. What are you talking about? The guy keeps talking to him as if he's Mateo. Then an officer comes by, also addresses him as Mateo, and actually grabs him and takes him to jail, saying, you know, we finally caught up with you, all those debts that you, that you had because of all the gambling that you've done, so you're coming with us. And they throw him in jail. Every single one of the prisoners addresses him as Mateo. And they're slagging him off, you know, for all the gambling that he's been doing. And he keeps saying, you, you have the wrong person. My name is Maneto. And everybody just ignores him and completes treating and, and continues to treat him as Mateo. And he goes to sleep. He doesn't sleep a wink, but he keeps thinking, you know, this is all a mistake. I mean, sooner or later, they're going to realize they have the wrong person and I'll be able to go home. So it's okay. In the morning, Mateo's real brothers, his two brothers, come to the jail and uh, identify Maneto as their brother, Mateo. And they say, again, we have to get you out of jail. So reluctantly, they pay the bail and they get him out. And they're like, why do you keep getting into this trouble? You have to stop the gambling. And Maneto, by this point, his, his head is just like spinning and thinking, I mean, maybe I am Mateo. I mean, everybody else says that I'm Mateo, so I'm, maybe something happened. And they take him to Mateo's house on the other side of Florence, and they go in the whole day, they're treating him as Mateo. Other friends come by, everybody's treating him as Mateo. And so he goes to bed that night, starting to really think, I, something happened that I don't understand, and maybe I really did turn into this other person. He goes to sleep. Brunelleschi comes back. He puts a sleeping potion. He gives him a sleeping potion, and so he knocks him cold. Him and his friends carry Maneto, take him back to his shop on the other side of Florence, put him on his bed, wrong side, with his feet on the pillow and his head on the other end, and they rearrange all the tools in his shop. When he wakes up, soon after, Mateo's uh, two brothers come by and this time address him as Maneto. And they say, you know, something happened with our brother. Last night he insisted, he insisted that he had turned into this other person. And Maneto's just like staring at them. Mateo comes, the real Mateo comes. He's like, confirms the story and says, yes, you know, actually last night I had a dream that I turned into a carpenter and I saw my, all my tools were in disarray. So I spent quite a bit of time in my dream arranging them. And Maneto's looking at all his tools. Every single one is in a different place. And then that just confirms in his mind that he did actually, at least for a little while, become Mateo. Who knows how? And as far as we know, until he died, he never knew the true, the true story. Uh, I don't think Brunelleschi ever copped to it. So I was thinking about this um, because a few months, a few weeks ago, weeks, a few weeks ago, I was going to give a talk about um, identity and no self. Um, and I came across that quote 
you can't be yourself by yourself. And it reminded me of this story. And so we know this, and we've been talking about this now for quite some time, that who we are is completely intertwined with who everybody else is. But this story, as far-fetched as it may seem, I mean, Brunelleschi had had to have convinced, you know, quite a number of, of people. But if you think about it in a subtle way, this is actually what we're doing all the time, right? We have agreed to function in this dream together. We have silently made a pact, made an agreement to abide by certain rules. The main one being that when I wake up in the morning, I'm still me and you're still you and I call you by your name. And this all seems so obvious and so incontrovertible that we never really question it. And yet, you know, this prank, this game, you could call it, to me, really brings home the fact that without you, I cannot, in fact, be me. That I am who I am, shaped by you. Right? If you remember from our study from Thich Nhat Hanh, if I am the fruit of all the seeds of every experience that I've ever had, everything I've heard, everything I've seen, everything I've thought, everything I've done, this means that it also involves everything that you've heard and seen and thought. And that if one thing was slightly different, I might have turned out a completely different being. If you really think about, you know, this, this very tightly and mostly harmoniously uh, knit net, that it's actually kind of a miracle that I am here as me and that you are there as you. And that we continue to a large extent, but also that in those moments when we are larger than that or more fluid than that, that we run into snags when we expect one another to be a, a more narrow definition, right, of who we really are. We, we, we take this game, if you will, and in a sense, set it down in stone because it's easier for me to know, to think that I know who you are. Because then that means that I know who I am in relationship to you. And that gives me a sense of security, a sense of safety. Even though because I practice, I also know that the reality is much 
I was going to say complicated, but it's not that it's complicated. It's just much more rich, much more vast, definitely much more fluid. Because every day you're choosing, probably mostly unconsciously, right, to treat me a certain way based on what you think you know you already know about me. You've learned to expect certain things from me, from the way I look, to the way I talk, the way I act, the way I think. And largely, I confirm those assumptions. So if I came, if I appeared before you today, and my hair was in a pink mohawk, I think most of you would wonder what's going on, what's happening, right, with Suisse. And even if I acted exactly the same otherwise, there would be already a break in the pattern that we are agreeing to form together, right? There would be a breach of contract, in a sense, on my part. Now, teenagers do this all the time. And other people, you know, do it all the time. You know, it's the, 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 the opposite of pinning my identity in a place, in a situation, in a set of behaviors. You know, some people find a kind of security through the um, the breaking up, the explosion of those barriers, the, the, the pushing against. But it's still, when you look at it closely, it's still a contract. There is still something that's saying, yes, but here I am. I may be quite different from you, and tomorrow I will be different, different again, and tomorrow, the day after that. But I know who I am. And the question I would say is, is that true? Do I really know who I am? Can I even begin to presume that I know who you are? Because if I don't know, then what does that mean about where I can stand? What can I rely on? What can I trust? And so I think a culture, right, a society does need this net. It does need the, the web to hold itself together enough, right, that we can interact with one another. At the same time, it's never fixed. And you see what happens, you see the fear, the anger that comes up when any individual, especially when groups, begin to redefine their notions of identity. I think about, I think about Generation Z, and I guess now Generation Alpha behind them, who are demanding that they not be pinned down, that we not pin them down. I'm this or that, which means I'm not this or that. 
I think about the way the term white was created and the repercussions, hundreds of years of this one act, which of course wasn't just one. But if we look closely, if we're willing to not assume, if we're willing to be a little less secure for the sake of being free, then we do know that reality is much more blurred, right? much more amorphous and fluid, that it doesn't actually yield so easily to categorization that only our images do. And I was thinking how it's, you know, it's a little ironic. We want, we want familiarity from one another. We crave that, right? What gives us a sense of ease and comfort with one another. At the same time, we don't want to be bored. We don't want to know everything about the other person. So how do we hold both? How do I trust that you will be maybe I don't need to. <laughs> maybe it is a matter of being completely present with you in each moment. Maybe it's not a matter of knowing who you are, so that I can make room for everything and everyone that you can and want to be. I've shared with you before how, I think I have, when my mother said to me when I was 13, you can do anything you want if you think it's right, even if I disagree with you. I mean, who says that to their 13 year old? I mean, I think she knew that I'm too, I tend to follow rules, <laughs> let's put it that way. I think she knew that when she said that, you know, I wasn't just going to do something crazy. But she, she made me feel very early on that I was completely empowered to decide my own life, that I didn't have to choose for her sake, that I wasn't a reflection of her. And I think how rare that is in a parent. She had other troubles. She certainly wasn't perfect, but she did give me that very early on. And this past weekend, I saw something interesting only to the extent that it shows me, you know, how quick I can be to, to put myself in that broom closet that I've talked about, right? When there's this vast open field in front of me and how willing I am to, to lock myself in the closet when I feel that that's what will keep me safe. So I was, I was traveling a little bit and I was in a couple of new settings. And uh, one of them very beautiful, well, both very beautiful, but one of them I had a very strong reaction to. 
and it's hard to explain exactly why it 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 was just one of those things it just it was just not a good fit i couldn't get comfortable and i kept saying either out loud or in my mind well you can't do that meaning that's against the rules i very often had no idea what the rules were and at a certain point it hit me i saw it so clearly i actually do this a lot that voice in my mind no that you can't do that that's not allowed i say that to feel contained to feel held especially in a situation where i feel out of sorts and i recognize how constraining it is how much i don't allow myself to do out of that fear really out of that insecurity out of that need for security and that i don't actually even do it just when i'm in new situations that this is something i learned very early on you know that that you follow the rules because that gives a sense of order and there's a reason i grew up in some ways in a very chaotic environment so i had to create order for myself and then that gets a little me you know it gets a little warped and then i turn to it automatically at moments where really i'm not in any danger i don't need to but that's where i go and we all do this right we all have our particular ways of coping when we feel unsure when we feel in some way either too exposed or out of sorts or just not quite sure of who i am in this situation you know when kafka wrote metamorphosis of course i have no way of knowing what he was thinking but it's one of the saddest stories i've read i don't know if you've read it recently but it's just so sad but i think it captures so well this um well the sense of alienation you know of being in this body and being in this world and being unable to fit in in all the many things that we do externally internally to uh get around that feeling and of course what practice calls for is the settling into that very fear that very sense of not knowing where i stand that sense of not really quite knowing who i am in this situation but if i can just hold that uncertainty maybe this new aspect of me will have a chance to come up to come out
Because I think at a certain point, if we're paying attention, we do notice the limitations. You know, we realize that broom closet gives us shelter. And it does give us a sense of protection, absolutely. But it's also so tight and kind of dark and musty. And at a certain, after a while, you, you know every corner of it. There's not much else to discover. And so I don't know, you know, what brought each of you to practice that first time. I don't know if you know consciously, though I'd love to hear if you do, what, what was the impetus? Was, that, was it a voice that said, is this it? Is this it? Is this life? Is this all there is to it? Was it just a generalized, no, not just, a generalized or a pervasive sense of unease? Or was it just straight out pain? And what made you trust that there had to be another way? Or like our bricklayer, you get to the last brick, you have no idea what will happen with the next step. You could very definitely drown, but something, something tells you to trust and you step anyway. And maybe it ends up not being this particularly, Zen specifically. Maybe it's just a step to something else. Or maybe it is this. Maybe it is this profound way of looking at your mind, looking at your body, looking at what this self is. Recognizing that I truly can't be myself without you. I also can't be more than myself without you. Do you know what I mean? I can't actually, even with all the zazen, even with all the practice, I can't break through my own shell without you. And that is why sangha is so important, crucial. And so, in one way, you know, what we are constantly working with is how do I be myself fully? How do I let you be yourself fully? And how do we not obstruct each other in the process? How do we allow for our whole beingness? How do we encourage one another? into our full beingness. To me, that really is the, the mark of a true friendship, if you will. And I say friendship in a, you know, in a, in a, in a very wide and deep way. You know, those people in your life that really do not only accept you fully as you are, but also kind of nudge you. There's more. 
There's more here. Can you see that? Let me, let me just end here with, with a poem. It's my favorite poet, Wisława Szymborska. And it's called Among the Multitudes. I am who I am. A coincidence no less unthinkable than any other. I could have different ancestors after all. I could have fluttered from another nest or crawled bescaled from another tree. Nature's wardrobe holds a fair supply of costumes, spider, seagull, field mouse. Each fits perfectly right off and is dutifully worn, worn into shreds. I didn't get a choice either, but I can't complain. I could have been someone much less separate, someone from an anthill, shoal, or buzzing swarm an inch of landscape ruffled by the wind. Someone much less fortunate, bred for my fur or Christmas dinner, something swimming under a square of glass. A tree rooted to the ground as a friar draws near, a grass blade trampled by a stampede of incomprehensible events, a shady type whose darkness dazzles some. What if I prompted only fear loathing or pity. If I'd been born in the wrong tribe with all roads closed before me. Fate has been kind to me so far. I may never have been given the memory of happy moments. My yen for comparison might have been taken away. I might have been myself minus amazement. That is someone completely different. What if I was bolder, quieter, smarter, better looking, less insecure, more joyful, more talkative, quicker to respond? Who would I be if I was any of these things? Who can I be? Who can I be? And if I was that different person, then who would you be then? For more talks, to get more information about Zvise's upcoming teachings, or to join her email list, please visit vanessazvisegoddard.org.